John 6, 36 through 47. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it is not Jesus, is this... Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say now, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that, anyone, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Thank you, Amanda. This is the word of God. Last week, we spoke about the doctrine of election. You know, one of the five points of Calvinism, the uh, Reformed theology, many of us uh, understand that. But I want you to know, I think it's really, really important to understand theology because theology is really the science of, of God and the study of God. And so we need to know that. We need to understand it. We need to spend our time uh, considering and thinking through uh, who God is and what that means uh, to us, know why we believe and what we believe. But frankly, it's really not essential for you to understand and believe in the doctrine of election. It will not affect your eternity with Jesus. What is essential and what we stand on is that you need to believe in Jesus and need to trust Him with your life as the sole provider of any hope that you have for eternity. That's the main thing. I can't say the doctrine of election is not important. I, I won't say that. But the essential thing? No Jesus. So today we're going to address one of the, another one of the five points found in John 6. We are going to be looking at the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Simply put, perseverance of the saints says that if you have genuine faith, you will never lose your faith. If you have genuine faith, you'll never lose your salvation. You are secure and safe in the plan of God. You're not ever going to revert back to an unredeemed condition. So today we're going to look at two different passages of scripture. We're going to look at John 6 and then we're going to look at Romans 8 and see how these play uh, together. We're going to see that God never ever 
starts a work that he doesn't intend on finishing. So why does it matter? Well, if you've ever struggled with assurance of salvation, you know how much it matters. If you've ever wondered if I could mess up so bad that God would never accept me again, and if that fear lives inside of you and that angst is there, you know how important this is. As I was preparing this and as I'm giving it, I'm thinking of a friend that I have, uh, a dear friend, a godly man whom I've known for years and years and years, who continually struggles with the assurance of his salvation. It, it just seems too good to be true, he says. And I says, it is. It's too good to be true, and yet it still is true. And he knows that with his head, but he, he struggles with it, and it's brought him no end of pain and grief and tears. And so you know how important this, this doctrine of perseverance of the saints is. But let me stress to you, That your feelings will never give you the assurance and the peace that you desire. Assurance is not based on your feelings. Though they're important. At the bedrock level, you have to understand and know what scripture says. And you need to know the character of our God. And draw on that foundation... If you're going to understand that he's never, ever going to turn you away. You have to learn to argue with yourself and preach to yourself. I guess this doctrine is only important if you want peace and rest. And if that's important to you, then this doctrine is important to you. So, what I'm going to present to you today, uh, a sermon in a sentence, is understanding the purpose of God in your salvation is key to assurance that you are a child of God and you will remain a child of God. Let me say it one more time. Understanding the purpose of God in your salvation is key to your assurance. Let's see how this works out. This morning, we are going to explore the connection between election that we talked about last week and perseverance. We find that connection here in John chapter 6. It strikes me how solidly and strongly they are connected. It confirms what I felt for a long time that in these Reformed theology or five points, if you will, that if you get one of them and you get one of them really well, it will lead you to the other four. These are strongly connected. Now, last week we looked primarily at verse 37, verse 39, and verse 44 that Amanda read to you from John 6. And I want to go back there because in each of these circumstances you see both election and perseverance of the saints. So, let's look at verse 37. John writes... The words of Jesus, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and, that's election, right? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Perseverance. Verse 38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all, right? Perseverance. 
that he has given me election, but raise it up on the last day. Again, perseverance. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, election, and I will raise him up on the last day, perseverance. Do you see the connection? All the way through here, we've got a connection between election and perseverance. So throughout, he speaks of election. He speaks about how God has chosen for his son to give him a gift, a people for his son's own possession, a people for his son to love and to care for and to call out. And the son agrees to keep them safe, to keep them whole and secure until that last day when he will raise him up. Salvation is all of God and he grants this salvation. The doctrine of election results, the results of doctrine of election The result is the doctrine of perseverance. That's why, actually, I know saints through all the ages have called it perseverance of the saints. That's where I like preservation of the saints. Because I think it speaks to me more carefully. Because perseverance, to me, kind of means, okay, you just knuckle down and you make it work. And you work and you're staying faithful. You're doing the things that you should do. But preservation of the saints, God preserves me. He cares for me. He takes care of me. Preserving power of God is what holds on to me to keep my eternity secure. So that's John 6. But in Romans 8, we find the same connection. The same connection. And it's spelled out a little more explicitly. So I want to spend the rest of our time today in Romans 8 to as a kind of a commentary on what it's saying in John chapter 6. So, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is so rich and so powerful. Now let's look at God's purpose and how that works its way out into our preservation. Now, in chapter 8... Paul sums up, the beginning of chapter 8, he sums up the first four chapters, or first six, seven chapters of Romans. In the first seven chapters, we see our great need of salvation. Early on there, he talks about how there are none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. He speaks about the great need of salvation. Then he, he goes on to say that we can only uh, become righteous by faith and trust. He goes on to tell us about the sufficiency of what Jesus did on Calvary, why his death can be applied to us. There about Adam, uh, the first Adam and the second Adam, he talks about that. He, He talks about the purpose and the limitations of the law. But now he comes to chapter eight and he has two great declarations for us. The first declaration is found in verse one. There is now No condemnation. No condemnation. Under no circumstances will a follower of Christ ever be condemned for their sin. They will never pay for their sin. Every sin they've ever committed, past, present, and future, has been forgiven, has been wiped away before the cross of Christ. So we are no longer under sin. We're no longer condemned. But then the second declaration is that there will never ever be any separation from the love of Jesus. No condemnation, no separation. Paul is teaching that once a person is a Christian, there's never any possibility of him losing his salvation. And he's going to prove his point powerfully and majestically and poetically. In this passage. Let's look at verse 28. He says. And we know. That for those who love God. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see there's a magnificent promise here. That I've gone to time and time and time again. In difficult days. And I think you all have too. All things work together. Not that all things are good. That's ridiculous. Not that all things are good, but all things will work for good and for the good of His people. God has so overridden the circumstances of life that even the bad things will produce that which is good for His children. But this verse is not simply to give us comfort and peace for now in the midst of this. Difficult days, but ultimate comfort and peace in looking forward to that day when we stand before him. I tend to focus on the comfort now because, well, that's when I really need it right now. But as I look at this passage, I see that he's really talking about ultimate comfort. Our ultimate comfort comes not from the first part of this sentence, 
but from the second part. Here we see why it is true that God works all things for good to them who are called. Look at the last phrase. According to His purpose. According to His purpose. Everything hinges on according to His purpose. All things must work together for me because I am included in God's purpose. This certainty... Of God's purpose is why I can know that I'll never lose my salvation. It's all about God's purpose. If God purposes anything, you can take that to the bank. Because nothing can happen outside of His will. It is a fundamental truth that substantiates the perseverance of the saints. God is working out His purpose, and that purpose guarantees that I, all things work together for good and that my salvation is secure. Let's see how it works out. That's verse 28, going on to 29 and 30. We find the apostle here giving a detailed steps and stages of our salvation so that he can show that each step is a part of his purpose, his plan, the outworking of the original purpose of God. God's purpose is primary and ultimately what matters. But you know, I'm included in that purpose. It's really not all about me, even though it feels like it's about me. Because, well, we won't go there. All right. I am included in God's purpose. Let's look at verses 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, here he's giving details of the purpose of God. He's working out His plan. Showing it to us. It is certain. These explicit statements tell us that God has determined a certain course of action. A way of putting His purpose into action. And it's not going to fail. Here in this passage you find five what is called unbreakable golden links in our salvation. Do you see them? He says... Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. These are five golden links that are so linked together that no one ever, ever can pull them apart. Because it's the purpose of God. Okay? Very quickly, we see that He foreknew you. What does foreknow mean? Well, it means God has set His mind and heart on you. He knows you. From before the foundation of the world, He knew you. He knew who you were. The next link is He predestined you. You have a destiny. God has determined for His people. Those whom He foreknew, those whom He knew, He predestines. Now, sometimes people say, well, okay, um, I don't really like this predestination stuff so why don't we think that God looks forward in in the future and he knows who's going to believe and therefore then having known then we know that that's predestination but 
I will say, why does Paul use foreknow and predestination in the same sentence? If that is the case. We know also in Scripture the word know, like Adam knew his wife, that's an intimate knowing. If that's the case, then God knows everyone. But we know that that's not the case because not everyone is saved. God knew. He saw you from before the foundation of the world. He knew you. And then He called you to be His own. He predestined you. He has a a determination for you. And in time, when you came to be, and at the proper time, The Holy Spirit changed your heart. He came in and He changed your heart and your mind. He took out that stony heart and He put in a heart of flesh. And you believed. You saw the scales came off your eyes. And you believed that Jesus is the Son of God. And you trusted Him and you you put all your faith in Him. That's effectual calling. From there, you've got justification, that one-time act when God pardons a sin, just like a judge sitting on a bench pronounces a sentence. He justifies you. He pardons his sin. He imputes Jesus' righteousness to you, and your sin He imputes to Jesus Christ so that you can stand before Him sinless and perfectly righteous. Glorification, the last link of that golden chain, includes sanctification because that glorification is when we will stand before Jesus, all changed, our sinful nature will be gone, we won't any longer be tempted with sin, we'll stand before Him complete, sharing in the body of Christ, uh, the glorified body. Right now, those of us who know Jesus, we're slowly, ever so slowly, becoming more like Jesus. And we're in that process. Once we're justified, we become more and more and more like Jesus. So do you see that all five chains are important? And you can't just rip out one of those and say, yeah, I don't think so. That's, I don't like that one. The chain is broken. God's purpose will stand. God says, Whom I foreknew, I predestined. Who I predestined, I called. Who I called, I justified. And who I justified, I glorified. All of them are together. This is important when we're thinking about the perseverance of the saints because God's purpose will stand. You're not going to mess that up. Can we ever say, That, yeah, God, I know that you purpose to do this, but I think I'm going to step away. No, that can never happen. It's also interesting in, in, um, I'm going to geek out a little bit here. On On these five, all these elements are written in the aorist tense of the verb. I know means nothing. Let's try this. It means that it, it happened in the past at a singular moment. Past tense, singular. 
At one time in the past, God foreknew you and predestined you and called you and justified you and glorified me? That seems like it should be in the future, right? Because we're not there yet. But even glorified is in the singular past tense. So you know what that means? It means in the mind of God, outside of time and space, He glorified me. He said, this is fact. This is true. This will never change. All the way back then. All these things are true and absolute certainty. So, with this background, we see what God's purpose is for His people. Why are God's people foreknew? Why are they predestined and called and justified and glorified? Let's look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We read that God's purpose for His people is to conform them in the likeness of His Son, to refine them into the image of the Son so that the Son might be glorified. The Son might be raised up. The Son might be preeminent among all. Our salvation, my friends, is all about Jesus and His glory and His honor and His fame and His reputation. The primary thing is that Jesus be glorified. What this means is that we can rest in the security of our faith because Jesus' reputation is at stake. Will the Father ever let anything happen to the reputation of the Son? Reason. Understand. You can be safe and secure because God has purposed to save you and to rescue you from your sins. And you will remain that way because it's His purpose to bring glory to the Son and nothing ever will stand in that way. You and I are a part of this grand panorama of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their love for one another. And we get to ride along. We get to be a part of that and and feel the expression of love the Father has for the Son and the Spirit. Because Jesus' glory is the ultimate purpose of our salvation. We can rest secure. But I love how Paul's mind works. When I understand the way his mind is working, he, he says, okay, we've presented all this, this truth, but you know what? I'm going to get emails tomorrow about this, or I bet I'm going to get an email about that 
And then he, he answers it so that he doesn't get the email. I bet somebody is thinking about this. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? See, he's answering the questions that he knows that these statements have brought up in their minds. Is our salvation really secure? Is there really nothing that can affect our position in Christ? Paul says the only real conclusion that you can draw here is if God before you, who can be against you? If God before you, who can be against you? If he has purposed to glorify his son through our salvation, what is going to stand in his way? And as I look at these next uh, verses, I see two questions that he intends to answer before he gets sent the email. And frankly, they're the ones that I most often get regarding perseveration, uh, perseverance of the saints. The first question is, is it possible that I might sin so grievously that I will once again be condemned? And you see the answer to this in verse 32 through 34. <coughs> I think this is the greatest struggle that most of us have regarding our salvation. What if I screw up? What if I leave the faith? What if I turn my back on him? What happens? What does verse 32 say? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. <coughs> he says, does it make any sense? I'm going to squeal at you. No, okay. Does it make any sense? That God who chose you from before the foundation of the world... Does it make any sense that <coughs> when God sent His Son to die for you, does it make any sense at all if He foreknew you and predestined you and called you? Does it make any sense at all that now once you're here in the flesh, having been saved, that He's going to let you go? Is that logical at all? If God had changed his mind about you, chose to disinherit you, would it not be in opposition of his stated purpose for you? Does God change his mind? Does God say, yeah, that didn't work out as well as I thought it was going to? Isn't that ridiculous? <coughs> the son died for you, now he intercedes for you. Don't tell me that your sin... Your sin is large enough to stop the purpose of God. You're not going to mess this up. Because frankly, it really doesn't matter how good you were or how bad you were. You needed Jesus and you came to Jesus and now he has you. Second question. Is there any possibility of anything else Causing me to lose my salvation. That's verse 35-38. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? 
The question is, if my sin can't cause me to lose my salvation, is there anything else? Is there anything else in this whole wide world that could make me lose my salvation? Any great opposing force? Paul knew that we had a lot of adversaries. A lot of things working against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all enemies of our soul. The world, the Bible presents that there are two kingdoms of people. There are those who are under the kingdom of Satan and those who are under the kingdom of Christ. And we started under the rule and the reign of Satan in the domain of darkness. But he has reached in and grabbed us out of that kingdom and placed us into the kingdom of the Son. And now, although we live in the world, we are not of the world. So the world, the flesh, we've talked about this just a little bit ago, but that indwelling sin that is so so frustrating that lives within us, even though we're believers. The enemy that resides in my heart, that unredeemed humanness that just clings to me, that I so much want gone. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Devil is real. We have a powerful, supernatural enemy to our souls who will lie to us, who will deceive us, who will destroy us if he can. We have some pretty formidable foes that cause us to question whether or not we are, in fact, a child of God. But Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. My friend, your eternity is secure if you know Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens on this side of the grave. If you are His own, if you have genuine faith, you're safe. And secure. And you can rest. You can lay your head down on your pillow at night. At peace. Because he's got you. My friend that I was talking about earlier. Has struggled so long. With fear and doubt and despair. I'm reminded of the story of. uh, Pilgrim's Progress. You know John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. uh, About how Christian. On his journey from his, the city of destruction to uh, the city of God. You remember him and his time in Doubting Castle? Have you all read the book? Anybody read the book? Oh, I hope so. If not, put it on your list. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress. But Christian uh, spent some time in the prison of Doubting Castle and kept by giant despair. And it was only when Christ awakened him and And reminded him that he had a key in his pocket. And the key was promise. The promises of God. And so with that, he and his companion, Hope, were able to unlock the prison doors and escape. In much the same way, my friend, I I don't know if you struggle with whether or not you're a Christian or not. Many of us do. I understand. The place to go is not 
where do I, how do I feel today? The places to go is to the character and the nature of God and what He has written for us. Now, is it going to solve all the problems? No. Because sometimes we just have temperaments that tend to doubt and fear, right? Some of us know what I'm talking about. Some of us are just, okay, no fear, no doubt. But there are others have that temperament. To, to my friend and to those who struggle as he does. Look to Jesus. Look to the nature of what God has done for you in sending His Son, will He ever go back on His promise? No. He won't. Let's pray together. Father, You know the condition of our hearts. Would you help the information that we find in our head, would you somehow get it to our heart? May your Holy Spirit speak strongly to us. May the truth that you have called us and known us from before the foundation of the world that you have called us to be your children and have declared that you love us and you care about us, would that understanding find its way deep into our hearts? We need you. Speak to us Oh God, that it has never been about how well we did or our performance or our sinlessness, but all about the love gift that you wanted to give to your son. Bring understanding and peace to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Now we come to the time of Lord's Supper, a time when we're reminded that that we look to Jesus alone for our salvation. We look to Him alone and trust Him alone for forgiveness of sin, that we believe and we trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I long for you have full security and confidence in what Christ has done for you. I long for that. You will not have any peace and rest until you have that. But the only way to have that is to look outside of yourself to what Jesus has done for you. In communion, we talk about and experience what Christ has done for us on Calvary's cross his broken body and his shed blood on that night before his last day he had his disciples up in the upper room and 
And he said, after he had broken, blessed and broken the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you partake of it in remembrance of me. Here at Ethos, the Lord's table, we welcome all those who know Jesus and trust Him for their salvation. We welcome them to the table. If you are here this morning and and you don't know your position in Christ, you don't know if, if you've really trusted Him or maybe you know that you haven't yet, let me ask you not to participate in the table, not take the elements, because this is, this is very precious to us. And, and if you would, take this time to consider trusting Him. Think about what I've said and what the Word, more importantly, what the Word has said to you this morning. Maybe today. Trust Him today. We look forward to the time when you get to celebrate the Lord's table with us. If y'all will get in uh, your positions and um, the way we celebrate here at Ethos is we ask you to come up uh, this these center aisles and uh, y'all will be standing at these two places here and uh, then go back out the um, the outside aisle. You see we have our offering baskets here if you have an offering to put in or your connection card uh, for us to pray for you or just talk about something with us, put it there. But if you all will stand, uh, I'll be in the back. I would love to pray with you about anything that you have uh, going on in your life. So let's celebrate the Lord's table.